as, um, as many of you know, I was a uh, chaplain at Princeton for uh, many years. And one of the things I really enjoyed about being in Princeton, I don't know if you've ever been down there, but if you walk down Nassau Street, the main street, you, hear, you can hear in the span of a half a mile, two, three, four, five, six different languages being spoken. You know, you walk five minutes and you can hear all these different languages. People from all over the world uh, come to Princeton to study. And I had the privilege of getting to know different ones of them. And one, uh, one young man who has become one of my closest friends uh, came from India to study rocket science. And I think I've talked about him a little bit before. He came to Princeton to get his PhD in rocket science. And uh, so I know a rocket scientist, a real live, I mean, guy is unbelievably brilliant. His PhD dissertation was designing a rocket engine that would fly from the Earth to Mars. And NASA liked it enough that it's one of the designs that they're considering for, I don't know when it's going to happen, you know, 5, 10, 15 years, whatever. Uh, But this guy is just brilliant. Uh, But he comes from India. He's uh, from a high-caste Hindu background. And so if you want to talk about karma, you know, this guy has it. He was born into a very high-caste family, uh, a well-connected family, well-connected to the religious leadership over there. And he is just about the nicest guy I know. I mean, he wouldn't hurt a flea, literally. He, he's the kind of guy that remembers your birthday and doesn't have to write it down. And he has hundreds of friends, and he probably knows 90% of their birthdays and their anniversaries, their kids' names. You know, and so This is just the kind of guy that he is. So if there's anybody who's got good karma, it's Kamesh. And in, in fact... He knew that he had good karma because, you see, from the perspective uh, of a Hindu worldview, if you're born into a high caste family, that means, by definition, you've got good karma. You must have done something right in a previous life in order to be born into this kind of a family. So he had every expectation, not in a proud and haughty way, but, but just in a realistic way, he had every expectation that his life should go well because he's got good karma. The problem was that didn't happen. Uh, While he was in Princeton, his family back home in India was falling apart, Uh, infighting between them, difficulties between them and uh, the religious leaders there, uh, job difficulties, you name it, they're having the problems in their family. And then at Princeton, he's working on his PhD dissertation and his relationship with his advisor is becoming more and more and more difficult. And so Kamesh is just, he's, he's sitting there saying, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And he became more and more and more discouraged. And he woke up one Sunday morning and he decided that he was going to take his life. And so he's standing there in the shower trying to decide what to do. And he's at the end of his rope, and he's got nowhere else to turn. I don't know if you've ever been in that place, you know, where you realize my life is not where it ought to be. Most of us probably don't believe in karma in the way that a Hindu does. Some of you may actually be from that background, and maybe you do. But I think most of us have at some point in our lives or or other um, kind of lived as if we do believe in karma. You know, what goes around comes around. If I do good things, good things ought to come back to me. If I treat people well, 
They'll treat me well. If I live a a good life and however you want to define that, God's going to bless me. Or the flip side, if I treat people poorly, I'm going to be treated poorly. If I live a bad life, bad stuff's going to happen to me. How many times have, have we wondered whether the job loss or the relationship breakdown or the health problem that we or maybe our loved ones are experiencing. How many times have we wondered if that's a result of something that we've done wrong? I was, I was talking with a, a follower of Christ who was telling me just recently, she sometimes lies in bed awake at night wondering, have I done enough good for God to continue to love me today? Did I live my life well today so that he'll bless me tomorrow? I think if we're honest, all of us have asked ourselves that kind of a question. And all of us have, have seen that if we look at the world through the lens of karma, it doesn't work. How good do we have to be? How good is good enough? How well do I have to live my life in order for God to bless me? Or, or the flip side, how bad can I be before God's going to reject me? Have I done enough wrong things that I'm beyond God's reach, that he's just given up on me and he said, forget it, I'm moving on. Or that one thing that I did, I'm beyond redemption because it's too bad for God to reach me. And, and, and that's the way life looks if we're looking through the lens of karma, but that's not how God operates. That's not the way that Jesus looks at the world. Jesus is not a God of karma. He's a God of grace. One of my favorite characters in the Bible is uh, a guy named Peter. Peter was one of uh, Jesus' 12 disciples. And I think the reason I like Peter so much is because he reminds me of myself a little bit. And um, just he's, he's a what you see is what you get kind of a guy. You know, he, uh, he engages his mouth before he engages his brain. He spends half his time switching feet in his mouth, you know, he just, he gets in trouble at, at different places, and, and he reminds me of me in, in that way. Um, the, the night before Jesus was crucified, right after the Last Supper, uh, Jesus was telling his disciples that he's going to die the next day, and Peter says, hey man, I am willing to die with you, I am ready to go with you, let's bring, you know, bring it on, and Jesus says, I don't think so, Peter. In fact, before this night's over, you're going to deny that you know me three times. And Peter's like, no way, it's never going to happen. And Jesus says, "Mm, I don't think so. You know, and and a little while later, right after Peter said that, Jesus is arrested. And I I want to pick up the the action in Luke chapter 22, and uh, starting at verse 54. And then they seized Jesus, and they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire... In the middle of the courtyard, and it sat down together, Peter sat down with them. Let me just stop there. The high priest lived in uh, Short Hills, and he had a really big house and uh, kind of, you know, like a, a wall around it. I mean, okay, obviously he didn't live in Short Hills, but he lived in the Short Hills section of Jerusalem there. You know, the, the big house, lots of servants, uh, he's got guards, he's got all sorts of people hanging out, and Peter and some others were hanging out there by a fire. Uh, Jesus had been led away to be on trial, and Peter followed to try to see what's going on. 
And verse 56, a servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight, and she looked closely at him, and she said, this man was with him. But Peter denied it, and he said, woman, I don't know him. A little while later, someone else saw him and said, you're, you're one of them too. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he's a Galilean, and, and they could tell by the way he talked, it was his accent. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord Jesus turned and looked straight at Peter. And Peter remembered the word he had, had, the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Put yourself in, in Peter's shoes. He just bragged about how he's ready to die with Jesus. And Jesus said, nah, that's not going to be the case, Peter. And not only did Peter deny three times that he knew Jesus, but the last time, Jesus is probably walking across the courtyard. He's being led from one side of the house to the other, perhaps just about ready to go on trial. And Peter's saying, I don't know the man. And he sees Jesus walking across and Jesus just looks at him. He doesn't have to say anything. And I can just imagine Peter just hangs his head and he's devastated. He just melts. He just wishes that he could die at that point because the last thing that Jesus hears him say before he himself goes on trial to die is, I don't know him. And that's, what, that's Peter's last words that Jesus hears. Several hours later, Jesus is crucified He's, he's, he's dead and he's buried. I mean, what is Peter thinking at this point? One of my, 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 one of my closest friends, I've just denied that I, that I knew him, and now he's dead. But fortunately, I, we know on Easter Sunday, Peter didn't know this at the time, but Jesus rose from the dead. And so that Sunday morning, Peter hears that the tomb is empty and Jesus has been spotted. So Peter runs to the tomb and he finds out it's empty. Later on that day, Jesus appears to him and Peter is just elated. He's excited because Jesus is alive and, he's, and he celebrates that. But there's still, I think, in Peter's mind and his heart, this nagging doubt. Yes, Jesus is alive and I can rejoice and celebrate that. But what about my relationship with him? I mean, the last thing he heard me say is I don't know him. So is Jesus going to forgive him? Is Jesus going to disown him? What's going to happen? So some days later, maybe a couple weeks later, Jesus and, and his disciples are having breakfast. They're on the beach. They've just been fishing. And uh, they're having breakfast. And John, who is uh, one of Jesus' best friends and one of Peter's best friends, records what happens uh, after breakfast. John chapter 21. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Picture the, picture the situation. Jesus is standing there talking to Peter and he uses Peter's formal name, Simon, son of John, or as we would say, Simon Johnson. Simon Johnson, do you love me? Peter's kind of standing there, and I think he's kind of kicking the sand with his feet. He's looking down. He says, of course I love you. You know that I love you. And again, 
Verse 16, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And a little while later, he said, and, and follow me. Why is Jesus asking this question three times? I mean, Peter, Peter knew that Jesus knew the answer. He, Lord, you know that I love you. But why is Jesus asking him three times? Peter's got to be wondering that. Is he just trying to rub it in? Does he not believe me? Does he not know the answer? I mean, what's going on here? I think initially from Peter's perspective, it's, it, it feels like Jesus is giving him a hard time. But I think as Peter looked back on that, maybe some hours, maybe some days, certainly weeks and years later, he realized that what Jesus was doing is saying, I forgive you. Three times you denied me. Three times you said you don't know me. I gave you the opportunity three times to affirm that you love me. Three denials three affirmations. I think what Jesus was doing was giving Peter an anchor that he could look back on and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus had forgiven him, that Jesus' grace had disrupted, if you will, Peter's bad karma, that, that what Peter had done, yeah, it was wrong, it was bad, but Jesus' love and his grace and his forgiveness were more powerful than that. And so Peter could look back for the rest of his life and be sure, be certain that God had forgiven him and that he, had, that he loved him, that, that Jesus' love and forgiveness had triumphed over Peter's sin and brokenness. Earlier this week, I was reading uh, an interview that had occurred. It's in, it's in a book, an interview with a popular philosopher with whom I think most of you are familiar um, and a guy named uh, Bono wrote uh, the following about his faith in Jesus. And uh, he says, this is, a, this is a great quote. He says, it's a mind-blowing concept that the God who created the universe might be looking for company, a real relationship with people. But the thing that keeps me on my knees is the difference between grace and karma. I really believe we've moved out of the realm of karma into one of grace. You see, at the center of all religions is the idea of karma. You know, what you put out comes back to you, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, or in physics, in physical laws, every action is met by an equal or an opposite one. It's clear to me that karma is at the very heart of the universe. I'm absolutely sure of it. And yet along comes this idea called grace to upend all that as you reap, so you will sow stuff. Grace defies reason and logic. Love interrupts, if you like, the consequences of your actions, which in my case is very good news indeed because I've done a lot of stupid stuff, you know? And I say, amen, preach it, Bono. You know, I'm, I'm there with you. I've done a lot of stupid stuff. I'd be in big trouble if karma was going to be my final judge. It doesn't excuse my mistakes, but I'm holding out for grace. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins onto the cross because I know who I am and I hope that I don't have to depend on my own religiosity. 
I love the idea of the sacrificial lamb. I love the idea that God says, look, you Cretans, there are certain results to the way we are, to selfishness. And there's a a mortality as part of your very sinful nature. And let's face it, you're not living a very good life, are you? There are consequences to actions. The point of the death of Christ is that Christ took on the sins of the world so that what we put out did not come back to us and that our sinful nature does not reap the obvious death. That's the point. It should keep us humbled. It's not our own good works that get us through the gates of heaven. I love that last sentence. It's not our own good works that get us through the gates of heaven. Our eternal destiny does not depend on who we are or what we've done. It depends on who Christ is and what he's done. It doesn't depend on our karma, on our good works, on the way that we live our lives. It depends completely on the grace and the love and the forgiveness and the power of Jesus. My friend Kamesh called me earlier this week. Um, In a sense, coincidental, actually, it's providential in in relationship to this morning's message. Because I got to ask him and say, so Dr. K, that's what I call him now. He's got his PhD. So so Dr. K, tell me about that Sunday morning. You know, when did it end up happening? You're standing there in the shower and you're ready to take your life. What happened? And he said, well, you know, out of the blue, I don't know where it came from. This thought came to my mind. Give Tom a call. Tom was a fellow graduate student who Kamesh knew was a follower of Jesus. So he called Tom and he said, I'm, I'm ready to end my life. We got to talk. And so Tom said, okay, let's get together. Hey, why don't you come, come to church with me this morning? So Kamesh did. They went to a Presbyterian church just outside of Princeton where, where Tom was attending. And uh, Kamesh heard essentially the message we're talking about this morning, a message of love and of grace and of forgiveness, that there's a God in the universe who loves us in spite of all that we've done, that our, our lives don't depend on karma, they depend on God's grace. And Kamesh being, again, as I've mentioned, probably one of the most intelligent guys that I know, he didn't just immediately say, okay, hey, I believe, you know? I mean, he'd grown up in a Hindu family. This was, this was his life, and he was trying to figure it out. So this began for him a quest to explore, and to find out more, and to investigate, and to, to, to study, and to learn, and to see, is it true? Is my life just one of karma, or is it one that I can live based on the grace of God? And over a period of weeks and, and months, he explored, and he investigated, he asked questions, he checked it out, and he came to the point where he said, you know what, I really believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and rose again, that I could have eternal life, that I could have abundant life in a relationship with him and experience the joy uh, that we've been talking about this morning, that uh, that the song that that Steve and Sophia sang, we're talking about. And Kamesh came uh, to faith in Jesus. He's become a follower of Christ, and he's exchanged the hopelessness that he had that Sunday morning for a joy uh, of knowing Jesus. And he's now a professor of physics out on the West Coast, Uh, teaching at a Presbyterian school and helping others not just to understand physics, but to understand even more importantly how to have a relationship with Christ. And like Kamesh, uh, Peter came to the same point in his life where he understood 
the grace and the love and the forgiveness uh, that Jesus was offering to him. And many years after the, the breakfast that he had with Jesus, uh, he wrote in, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2, he wrote, Jesus himself bore our sins on his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And I just think it's it, that, that, that passage, that, that those two verses are so cool because they're combining the two things that Jesus was talking to Peter about that, uh, that morning when they're having breakfast. One is the forgiveness that Jesus was offering Peter, dependent on nothing other than the grace of God. Christ himself took Peter's sins, took your sins, took my sins, took our brokenness on himself. In a sense, he took our bad karma and gave us his good karma, that we could have the joy of having a relationship with him. That's the first part of of that passage. But the second part is he says, and now you've come back to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Remember, Jesus had said to Peter, tend my sheep, feed my flock, take care of my followers. And that's what Peter was doing. He was leading people into a growing relationship with the one who had forgiven him. And he recognized that while he might be a shepherd in some sense of the word, one who would tend to the flock, ultimately the great shepherd is Jesus himself, the one who sacrificed himself for us. And so Peter was pointing people to Jesus in that way. So the, the question becomes, what about us? You know, where, where are we in this story? Where do we find ourselves? If we're honest with ourselves, I think those of us who are followers of Christ say, yeah, that's true. But once in a while, I, I lie awake at night wondering, I messed up yet again. I did it again and again and again. Have I somehow put myself beyond the reach of God's love? We know intellectually here that that may not be the case, but sometimes in our hearts we wonder and we ask ourselves that question. I do, and I know you guys do because I've talked to a number of you in that way. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, the grace of God has disrupted our karma. It has taken care of all of our sins, and there is nothing that we can do to separate ourselves from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Others of you, this may be the first time you're hearing a message like this, or maybe you've heard it a few times. Maybe you're, you're like Kamesh, who heard it, but you're kind of checking it out, you're kind of exploring it. Absolutely, do that. Take whatever time you need. Ask questions. Consider karma or grace. My own good works How good is good enough? What does it take? And do I have what it takes? Or do I want to trust in the work of Christ and the grace and the forgiveness and the love that he's shown me? So check it out, explore it, ask questions and see if that isn't true. Wherever you are today, we have a a, a God, we have a Savior who looks at us and says, it's not because of what you've done It's not because of who you are, but it's because of who I am and what I've done. I love you, I forgive you, and I want you to experience my grace and have a joy-filled relationship with me. In a minute, I'm going to pray. I want to ask the band to come up. They're going to do one last song that really ties together 
all that we've been talking about this morning. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that you're, you're a God who loves us, a God who forgives us, a God who shows us grace, not because we've earned it, but because that's the kind of God who you are. I thank you that you're a God of forgiveness. I thank you that you're a God of power, that you're a God of mercy, and that there's nothing we can do to separate ourselves from your love. I thank you that you hold on to us even when we deny you. And I thank you that you forgive us again and again and again. And Father, I pray that each of us, wherever we are in our spiritual walk now, would grow closer to you and would know more and more and more the grace and the love and the forgiveness that you've offered us in Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.